Hey, everybody, it's Josh Barrow here with another episode of Serious Trouble. For free subscribers this week, we have a conversation about absolute immunity. Donald Trump loves to say he's absolutely immune from both criminal prosecution and civil litigation related to acts within the outer perimeter of his responsibilities as president. Uh, And so these arguments have come before two different judges in recent weeks, and uh, the two different judges are not having it. Ken and I have a conversation about what a president is immune from, what a former president is immune from, and why it's not nearly as broad as Donald Trump thinks it is or thinks it should be. Uh, That's the free episode. I would note, if you were a paying subscriber to Serious Trouble, you'd be getting much more this week. You'd be getting our conversation about some surprising evidence that Jack Smith intends to bring in the January 6th-related prosecution in Washington, D.C., evidence related to Donald Trump's political acts going all the way back to 2012, and conversations about serious trouble involving Bob Menendez, Rudy Giuliani, Alina Haba, and a lot of the other weird characters involved in these stories we follow. I'd also note it's the holidays, uh, and we're feeling generous right now. We feel that you deserve a gift, and if you go to seriousTrouble.show slash Christmas, you can get 25% off a one-year subscription. That's $45 for every full episode, approximately 50 episodes a year. Uh, You'll be able to join our community, join our comments section, uh, participate in the community uh, that underlies Serious Trouble, and be one of the people who's making it possible for us to bring you this show nearly every week. So again, uh, if you want to hear this full episode, every full episode, and if you want that discount, go to SeriousTrouble.show slash Christmas and give yourself the gift you deserve. Thank you. Hi, it's Ken White. And it's Josh Barrow, and this is Serious Trouble. Ken, we have two rulings this week that relate to former President Trump's claims of presidential immunity. Uh, one in a criminal case and one in a civil case. And so the the former president has been out there basically saying, I'm absolutely immune. This is one of his favorite talking points about these various cases on Truth Social and other outlets that, you know, I basically that I am above the law. And there are certain circumstances in which a president actually can't be held liable for various things. And so there are questions about, you know, did this fit into any of those boxes? Did those boxes continue to apply now that he's no longer president of the United States? And he's got two very resounding no's here. Uh, why don't we start with the criminal case? So that's uh, Judge Tanya Chutkin's case, the, the Jack Smith prosecution in Washington, D.C. Yes. So uh, former President Trump had made a motion to dismiss uh, Jack Smith's D.C. indictment against him. The one is that it is primarily concerned with his interference with the election results uh, surrounding January 6. And Josh, I don't think you're exaggerating his stance. It's more or less the the Frost-Nixon stance, right? If the president does it, then it's not illegal. <laughs> and Judge Chutka, and I don't think this is a big surprise to anyone, pretty resoundingly rejected that stance. She said there's nothing in the Constitution, nothing in the law, that says that a former president of the United States cannot be prosecuted for the things that he did while in office if they're violations of the law. Trump had claimed he had absolute immunity for prosecution for things that were within the outer perimeter of arguable presidential authority. And if that sounds familiar, it's because he's basically importing a concept from civil law and for the concept of the things that uh, the president might be immune for while acting as president in civil law. But criminal law and civil law aren't the same thing. Chutkin says basically, well, this is a great argument, but no court has ever said it, no law says it, nothing in the Constitution says it or implies it. 
she points out that when the framers of the Constitution wanted to confer immunity on somebody, they could do so. You know, there's a speech and debate clause. There's other circumstances where if, if the framers wanted to say, oh, yeah, you're immune, they say so explicitly, and, and there's ways they do it. And she rejected sort of the argument, which has been a sort of imperial presidency argument for a while, that the structure of the government implies that the president has to be supreme and, and has to be above the law. So she she rejects that entirely. Uh, it's not a close call the way she describes it. Because I feel like normally when we have conversations about can a president be criminally charged, this is about a sitting president. And the arguments there typically have something to do with basically like that's a, a separation of powers problem that the that the president oversees the entire Justice Department. There are also issues about, you know, that you don't want people tying up the president's time with a bunch of, you know, frivolous legal activity. You could have rogue prosecutors bringing indictments of the president all over the country because they don't like his politics. So I, f I feel like we've ha we have a lot of conversations about can a president be tried? Those are generally conversations about a sitting president and they have to do with the specific circumstances of being sitting in office and being tried rather than whether it's even possible to commit a crime while you're president. That's right. Uh, they have been. And, the, you know, there were there was talk about that when Trump was in office, whether or not if someone indicted him, he could be tried then. Uh, there have been arguments in the past about whether presidents are even subject to any sort of legal process while in office. Remember, that was the controversy with former President Bill Clinton and subpoenas to him and attempts to depose him and get him to testify. Uh, but the at least the modern trend, and by modern I mean the last 50 years, has been to say that the president's not above the law and that at most these policy arguments might delay when legal process applies until after the president is sitting. And what Judge Chutkin says is that this is not going to open up some parade of horribles where presidents are constantly harassed because, I mean, you have to prove a case when you mm -hmm. charge someone with a crime and they would have to do so. And there are institutional limits on people trying to do that too often and not being successful. So she says, as here, you would have to convince a, a grand jury to indict the former president of the United States. Josh, the other motion that she denied was one based on various arguments about Trump's constitutional rights. Uh, Trump had argued that the First Amendment absolutely protects all the speech complained of in the indictment, that prosecuting him violates his right to be free of double jeopardy because he went through the impeachment process uh, and something called the impeachment judgment clause. So Judge Chutkin rejected those as well. Uh, on the First Amendment, she said more or less that it's it's very well established that one of the exceptions to the First Amendment is speech that is inherent or intertwined with criminal acts. Like, you know, so when you conspire to commit a crime, you use speech. Uh, when you threaten someone, you use speech. When you obstruct justice, you use speech. And it's well established that speech inherent in those criminal acts is a, an exception to the First Amendment. Uh, and so she she rejects that. She rejects the notion that double jeopardy applies, that, that impeachment, uh, the impeachment process is not putting you at risk uh, of life and limb, which is what double jeopardy forbids. Uh, it's, it's a completely different process limited only to kicking you out of office and, and things like that. So they can try to impeach you and then someone else can try to prosecute you for the same thing. The argument from the Trump side there, there's this provision in the Constitution that says that someone who's convicted in an impeachment trial 
can be tried criminally also. And the, the claim is that there's an implication there that if, if, if they're specifying that in the case of a conviction, then the implication is that doesn't apply to a trial where there's not a conviction. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of dumb. And, and so to Judge Chutkin, the, the, the impeachment judgment clause says judgment in a case of impeachment shall not extend further than to removal from office and disqualification to hold and enjoy any office of honor, trust or profit under the United States. But the party convicted shall nonetheless be liable and subject to indictment, trial, judgment, and punishment according to the law. Now, yes, that's the the argument Trump made that the, the pregnant negative there is that if you're not convicted, that can't happen to you. But it seems pretty clear in the way Judge Chutkin reads it, and I think the way almost all scholars do, is this is just simply saying there are limitations to the punishment you can get as a result of impeachment. You can't be jailed. Uh, you, you can't be fined. You can't have all these. Uh, these are the only punishments you can get. Of course, you can still be punished in other ways. And that doesn't imply anything about an acquittal in the Senate or you know a failure of an impeachment vote in the House. And then there was also a due process claim that she rejected, basically that Trump says nobody told me I wasn't allowed to do this stuff. Yeah, right. This is the George Costanza uh, argument. Was that wrong? Was that wrong? Well, I have to plead ignorance here. I didn't realize that was... Should I not have done that? Right. Okay, so this is a genuine legal argument. The due process clause requires that you have reasonable notice that something is illegal. And very occasionally, and I say this somewhat bitterly as a criminal defense attorney, uh, a court will agree that some prohibition is so vague or so unworkable that a person of average intelligence cannot understand what is prohibited, what they're being forbidden to do. This is not such a case. Uh, <laughs> none of the laws uh, applied here have been found in the past to be unduly vague and you know, Trump's argument is basically, well, you know, everyone says the president can do everything they like, so how could I know? And that's not what due process requires. It only requires, does the law give fair notice about what's prohibited? And then the other case where a somewhat similar question came up was a was a civil case. This case, Blassen Game versus Trump, Capitol Police officers who have been suing Trump, alleging that he incited the riot in, w in which they were injured and, and suffered damages. Um, and so he claims that he was immune in that case also. And I mean, you said a moment ago that the scope of a president's immunity in civil litigation is broader than it is in criminal trials, right? And it is. Uh, but it's apparently not this broad. Yes, this is the United States Court of Appeal for the D.C. Circuit, uh, which we know has has produced mixed results uh, for cases involving Trump. In this case, uh, the two Capitol Police officers did say they were injured as a result of him inciting the January 6th rioters. And the key takeaway from this decision is this idea that a president uh, who is acting as a candidate is not cloaked with presidential immunity from civil cases. And what the, the uh, court concludes is, is Trump is here out here as an advocate for himself, as a candidate for reelection, and that when he's acting in that capacity, that is not acting on behalf of the United States. And for that, he is not cloaked with immunity. Now, Josh, you pointed out, I think, in, in, in your notes that isn't this a little inconsistent with some of the stuff we've seen before? And the answer is yes. In the E. Jean Carroll case, most notably, these cases where there's this very broad idea that when the president speaks in order to bolster his public image, that that is an official act because it is a necessary part of being a political leader is to convince people to like and support you. Exactly. So there is this line of cases and they relate to 
whether or not the Federal Tort Claims Act applies, whether or not the Westfall Act applies, these laws that govern uh, and limit lawsuits against federal officials, they've generally been read broadly uh, to say that, yes, if the person is, uh, you know, so, is sort of touting their own greatness, that's part of a politician's job. So uh, it applies there. And this, I, I think if if you're trying to reconcile these different lines of cases, which lawyers have to try to do all day, uh, you would say here it is explicit that the context is a re-election bid. It's explicitly a campaign event. I think that's how the the court is going to try to argue that this is not inconsistent. But on the other hand, the statements were made after the election. They were made after the election, but they're arguing about how the votes sh should be counted. Josh, I, I haven't told you or Sarah this. I, I've wanted to kind of <laughs> keep it from you, but a lot of the time we're just making this shit up, okay? Uh, <laughs> so... Yeah, I, I think it's hard to reconcile this decision with that line of cases that suggests that, you know, politicians defending their reputation are uh, acting in an official capacity. And maybe this is the type of thing that's going to cause these different lines of cases to collide and we're going to get one or the other of them uh, rejected. One thing the court does say, this is only a very preliminary decision. This is not a permanent loss for Trump. It says, look, he hasn't had an opportunity to argue. We're just going based on what's in the complaint. He hasn't had an opportunity to argue that, in fact, he was also pursuing official federal interests, official United States purposes in giving this speech and doing these things. And, you know, he, he might be able to show that he was, in their language, acting as an office holder, not an office seeker. So uh, it also doesn't reach his First Amendment defenses yet. So it's, it's a very narrow issue of presidential immunity. But it does raise this new sort of interesting distinction about uh, acting as an office holder versus an office seeker that I think you can expect to pop up in a lot more uh, a lot more litigation. I wish our listeners could see the extremely skeptical expression on Josh's face <laughs> as he takes this in. So, well, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's very hard to draw that line. You know, if a politician is spending their time trying to you know bolster their their public image, I mean, for one thing, that's almost always ultimately aimed at re-election if they are eligible for re-election. But then also, I mean, again, going I, I as I said, these statements were made after the election. Donald Trump, I mean, whatever he was aiming at, it can't have been getting people to cast more votes in the 2020 election because all the votes had already been cast at the time that he that he made these statements. He was uh, trying to influence the actions of government officials in the way that they would carry out their official duties rather than trying to influence the actions of individual voters. Right. And the, the other problem with the distinction, I think, is that frequently people seeking to be reelected are talking about the policies of their administration, of whatever they've been doing. And, you know, arguing for those policies, arguing that they're the right policies, trying to support those policies. So I'm not entirely sure how you tease apart office seeker and office holder. And I think probably what the court's going to wind up saying here is that um, 
you know, well, this is we're just going based on the allegations and the complaint. The complaint says he's solely acting as an office seeker. We had to accept that as true. And there, you know, it's trivially easy once you get into the factual dispute stage of the case to start putting in evidence that is at least partially as an office holder. It, it kind of read this out as to something only when it's undisputed. So basically, this opinion may not end up being precedential in any way, that this same appeals court is likely to rule again on the same issue? It may be taken only to apply to the extent it's undisputed that a particular act is only done as an office seeker and not okay. at all as an office holder. So that would be a very limited ruling. Happy holidays, everybody. Do you ever have trouble figuring out what gifts to give people for Christmas? It can be hard to figure out what other people need that they don't have. But what a lot of people don't have and, and really ought to have is a subscription to Serious Trouble. Uh, we think that there is no better gift that you could possibly give at Christmas than us. And that's why we're offering a discount right now. If you go to SeriousTrouble.show slash Christmas, you can get 25% off a gift subscription to Serious Trouble. That's just $45 for a full year of every episode of this podcast. Um, we want to thank you for being a paid subscriber. We know that you value this podcast. And we think that, you know, maybe you have some friends who would really like to hear it too. So if you want to give the gift of Serious Trouble this Christmas... Go to SeriousTrouble.show slash Christmas and you can get that gift subscription discount. Thank you for listening. Another thing that's come up in Jack Smith's case before Judge Tanya Chutkin uh, is some evidence that he's he's filed a, a notice that he intends to bring in this case. And this is I, I, I was a little surprised by this. It's basically a catalog of how Donald Trump has going all the way back to 2012 uh, argued that election results were false. Why is that relevant uh, in a criminal trial? You can talk all about how Donald Trump having been a you know a malign force in our politics going all the way back to the to the Romney campaign. Why is that relevant when he's on criminal trial? Well, Jack Smith is arguing it's relevant to show his knowledge and intent and plan. So l let me set it up legally. The rules of evidence say basically that. That was this week's free episode of Serious Trouble. Again, if you want to hear the full episode, if you want to hear about Jack Smith's case and all the evidence that he's intending to bring about Donald Trump's past bad acts, uh, political acts that uh, he says underlie the claims about the former president's motive uh, in the criminal case uh, related to January 6th, if you want to hear about what Rudy Giuliani is doing that is driving Judge Beryl Howell crazy, uh, please go upgrade. And again, you can take a discount that we're offering. Go to SeriousTrouble.show slash Christmas and get 25% off a one-year subscription to Serious Trouble. We really think we're the best gift that can be given at Christmas. I mean, what's better than Serious Trouble? So give the gift to yourself. If you want, you can give it to someone else. Go to SeriousTrouble.show slash Christmas uh, and get that discount. Thank you. <laughs> 